This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon from October 2nd, 2022. I hope you enjoy. God bless. My scripture this morning is taken from the book of 2 Timothy chapter uh, 1, verses 1 through 14. If you've noticed that we've We've moved away from 1 Timothy, now we're going to 2 Timothy. If you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it is found in your pew Bibles on page 198 in the New Testament section. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see, to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. I'm reminded of, uh, it's for this reason I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or me, or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying in the, on the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. But it has now been revealed to us through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. For I know the one in whom I have put my trust. And I'm sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. And, for, and hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. This letter, penned by the Apostle Paul to his protege Timothy, begins with his typical response. Uh, it's good to talk to you, Timothy. It's me, I'm writing to you, you know, the guy that actually cares about you. In this first chapter, the writer informs Timothy that he has been the object of his constant prayer. Now, faith has worked powerfully through the recipient's family line. 
a faith that lived first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. And then, as Paul says to him, armed with a legacy of faith, Timothy can banish cowards. He can boldly stand with Christ in Christ's uh, prisoner. Paul. Then the paragraph ends with a, a moment where he says, Now don't forget, you still have work to do in the name of Jesus Christ. Now see, I think there's a problem today with our culture, and I, and I don't normally do this, but I, I think today it makes sense. There's a difference between the idea of a belief and a faith. When I first started in youth ministry, we'll just say a while ago, I could sit down with a group of kids and I could say, what does faith mean? Give me a definition of faith. And after a little bit of prodding and a little bit of discussion, eventually they would come up with creating their understanding of faith. Now the problem that I have today is, is that the younger kids of today, as I find myself coming out of retirement working with children, is, is that I look at it and I ask them the same question, and I don't know if they ever could really come up with an answer without having to Google it. And I don't mean that in a negative sense, it's just, it's a reality. We have lost the ability to talk about what our faith is. We've kind of stopped talking. We, we've taken it for granted in the sense that we say, oh, well, they're just going to do this on their phones and their computers. Well, maybe we should ask them how that works. Find a way of connection so that when we talk about things like, oh, I don't know, our faith, our ways of understanding, you know, faith is not something that you do by yourself, by the way. There's a couple ways of looking at the word faith. Faith could be, we are Christians by our faith, which means that we are not individually focused. I try not to be myopic with our understanding of what it is that we believe. See, there's the difference. What makes us this faith? Well, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and have accepted him as our personal Lord and Savior. We've got that phrase memorized in our brain. We believe this. We believe with every fiber of our being that this is what it is that we do. Now, how do we do that? Well, we practice it by using our faith in our belief. Some might say being Christians is the faith. In this, in verse 33 through 5, there's an authentic faith that lives in young Timothy. And a living faith, it says, was obvious in his mother and evident in his grandmother's religious life. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is your proof that the faith of the first century came from the women of the culture. As they talk about it amongst their children and their nieces and nephews, there's a conversation that takes place here. Yes, I'm making a podium. I'm getting on a soapbox. I hate it when people say, well, you know, women shouldn't. Uh -uh. Here's your proof, ladies and gentlemen. Paul proved it that ladies, specifically Lois and Eunice, taught Timothy his faith. And Timothy somehow has the ability to lead a group of people. That's not happenstance. 
faith is a tradition that we live before our families and a, and a spiritual quality that when we model our lives after it, it becomes a legacy of faith passed on to the next generation. Paul is challenging his protege to rekindle that gift of faith within him and be unashamed about it. To share in the suffering that such faith may require. Gentlemen, a theologian by the name of Thomas Oden says uh, that the faithful must be ready to suffer. If need be to bear witness to the truth, it is most plausible and credible means by which the meaning of the son's death and resurrection is made clear. Now I got a little animated in the 815 service and so I'm going to try to hold it back, but I, I need you to hear this because I think the church... I'm talking big C, has done a disjustice to the way that we look at the word suffer. I think I've heard it growing up that God allows us to suffer so that we build closer relationships. And I, and I want to correct that misunderstanding of theology. God does not bring about suffering. Suffering exists. God brings us the peace in the midst of it. Suffering is real. You can't escape it. And in the midst of your suffering, God brings us love and compassion where the world will not, cannot do that. Because the world does not understand love. Peace and compassion. Only God does that. So when you hear preachers talk about, well, God made me suffer so I could understand this better, turn that channel. Right then. Turn it off. Turn the, I don't care. We don't do dials anymore, right? But, you know, whatever it is, God does not bring about suffering to the people. Then you'll hear the argument, well, it did it in the Hebrew Bible. I, 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 I. The suffering came because of their choices, their decisions. The Israeli world, the, the Hebrew Bible speci specifically talks about life in suffering in such a way that we have to learn how to live through it. Humans are a part of suffering. So Paul is saying to him, in the midst of this moment, suffering is real. Do not be ashamed of your faith and finding ways of living through that suffering. And you know how to do it because your mom and grandma told you. Who saved us and called us? The gift is that God is saving us in accordance with his eternal plan and purpose. The task is that this calls us into a life of when God calls, God enables that calling to be complete. God will enable the power to fulfill the calling. We read this in truth from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. Then there's that last part right there at the end. Did you catch the part when it says, guard what is you know, important to you? 
Can you imagine yourself as a guard? Some of you I, I could see working very well as a guard, a protector of children. I see some of you being a very good guard of protecting God's truth. I ask you, who are what are the enemies you need to watch out for? What might cause a guard to fail? I mean, let's be honest. Today, it's really easy to let our guards down. Maybe we're just tired, exhausted with the world. Maybe we just lack attention. Maybe, maybe we're careless. Maybe we're distracted. But God has given us that ability to stand guard, and it's our job to guard those that we're passing on this legacy of faith. I'm going to switch gears for just a second. Today's World Communion Sunday, which means that there are people all over the world celebrating our Last Supper. I say our in the sense that those that believe in Jesus. People all the way around the world might not have all of the same things, but they are finding a way somehow, somewhere to celebrate communion. And it's really interesting to me that this passage of Scripture is being preached or in the lectionary today. Because every time I think of meals, I think of growing up at Thanksgiving. I have two grandmas or grandmothers that are humongous impacts in my life. And they're both preachers. <laughs> that influenced my mom and my dad. Grandma Bell was from Smith County. In Kansas, way, way up, all the way at the very tip of Kansas, right next to the border of Nebraska. And when it came to life, they worked hard. But she had a farmer's faith. We might not have rain right now, and we might be suffering, but God will provide rain when we absolutely need it. Just not today. I remember going to Grandma's house at Thanksgiving, and the funny thing is, is, as you've heard me say before, the bellboys were not allowed upstairs because that's where all the breakable things were. So my brothers and I would have to sit downstairs in the basement while everything was being cooked. Now, it's not like we were being tortured. There was a TV there, and she had one of those little exercise bikes that my brothers and I would get our fingers in, inadvertently stuck in all the time. But that's not the point. And I remember this very clearly because during the day, she would make a ham. And you all know what I'm talking about, right? With the cloves in it and the pineapple, and she'd stick it in the roaster. And all day long, I'd have to smell this Maxwell House coffee because I swear she drank three cups of it, uh, three pots of it a day. And then she would make this, and she'd make the potatoes from scratch, and we'd have carrots that she peeled herself. And when we came up, the bellboys, she would look at us and she'd say, Joshua, Luke, Adam, get up here in the front. Yes, ma'am. 
and we'd be all circling around this table. And there's a lot of bells, by the way. And she'd say, Joshua, I want you to start the blessing, and Adam, I want you to finish it. Because we couldn't eat the meal until we blessed it. There was no question about what I was supposed to say or how I was supposed to say it. And I was really scared because, you know, I'm in a room full of preachers. And Grandma Bell would say, "Uh uh-uh, it needs to come from here. God will take care of the rest. That's a strong legacy of faith. Then I have my grandmother. Notice it's a different title. In North Carolina, who's probably watching this right now, probably get in trouble, but Thanksgiving at her house was a little bit different growing up, because at this point, we her favorite place to eat Thanksgiving was the Boston Market. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know what that is, it's, it's like a uh, fast food with fancy food. We'd get a rotisserie chicken, and she'd get the sweet potato casserole with the marshmallows on the top, because we didn't want to make it anymore. And I hate sweet potatoes, so I didn't make it. And then I would, Carmen and I probably would make some dressing or stuffing or whatever we want to call it. And we'd go back to grandmother's house. And then we would sit there and grandmother and grandfather would start off with Josh. Well, it's Joshua. You need to bless the meal. Somebody was praying. That's a legacy of faith. Now, I'm not putting myself in some sort of category like, oh, wow, this is so great. I'm giving you examples because that's what I grew up with, and you have that same story in some way or another. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be watching online. You wouldn't be sitting in the pews. Somebody talked to you about God through Jesus Christ. It's now your job to do the same, is what Paul is telling Timothy, and Timothy is telling us to do. There's a lot going on in this text. There's a lot of a challenge being left here. It's it's important for us to recognize that your voice matters. I don't care. The, The age thing does not matter to me. It is literally a number. The ability physically is not a thing to me. You are able to be here as the presence of God, as a non anxious voice. But you have a legacy to share with others. And it is our responsibility to do so. When you leave this place, you are the legacy of our faith, as you remember at the very beginning of the Big C Christian faith. And all around the world right now, that legacy is being practiced in the aspect of communion. Kind of when the mentor taught the student, and the student became the mentor. It was simple, right? He was sitting at its reclined. He was reclined around a table with all of his friends, his closest people, his disciples. You might call him his family. And he, just like my grandma, took something at the table that was just beautiful and made it something special as he took the loaf of bread and he blessed it in front of these people and said, This is my body, which is given for you. 
take this. And then he takes just something else from the table, just some sort of innocuous thing like a cup of wine because their Passover is a lot like our Thanksgiving. And he, he, he looks at it and he looks at them and he says, this is my blood which is being poured out for many. As often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do so. How? Remembrance of me. You've inherited a legacy of your faith. Now go and do likewise. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.